Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. beautiful people. We are back at it again here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. This is Prison Focus Radio, and I am your host, Nube Brown. We are going to spend the hour with Minister King, the director, co-director of California Prison Focus and Cage Universal. This brother's got a lot of beautiful things to say and share with us, and um, he is my comrade and my brother in struggle. It is my pleasure to Uh, spend this hour with him and share this with all of you. All right, we're going to get right to it. Uh, So sit tight and here we go. All right, beautiful people. Um, I have here with me this morning, Minister King X. He is of uh, California Prison Focus and Cage Universal. He is the co-director of California Prison Focus, doing amazing work, um, also as representing Cage Universal. I have him here this morning. Good morning, 
Minister King. Good morning, Sister Conrad Newbay. All right, beautiful. So we have something amazing in front of us that happened uh, uh, earlier this month on April 9th. But before I get started with that, one of the th uh, things that I want to bring to light with folks that are listening is that there is a lot of energy around, and rightfully so, uh, the political prisoner Mumia Abu-Jamal and the egregious uh, uh, abuse of his human and civil rights taking place as we speak. Um, he has been uh, um, unjustly um, imprisoned, caged for close to 40 years. He is in Philadelphia. And the reason that he is not out is because a, a district attorney by the name of Larry Krasner, who is uh, doesn't really deserve quite yet the title of progressive DA because he stands in the way of Mumia's freedom because he is heavily influenced, as most of these DAs are, and the criminal system, by the fraternal order of police. Now, the reason I am bringing up Mumia Abu-Jamal, who is in Pennsylvania, is because he is considered a, a political prisoner. He has been caged for, for, like I said, close to 40 years, and he has a tremendous amount of support. And he is an example of what it means to be an outspoken black man in this fascist country um, and uh, the retaliation that will be meted out to you if you dare to speak up. Um, as Mumia Abu-Jamal has done. But he is also um, a former Black Panther and a journalist. So, of course, they want the voice of, um, of an intelligent, politically, sociopolitically sound Black man to be silenced. He is an example of hundreds, thousands of political prisoners and many of them are right here in California, but they are not labeled as political prisoners. And yet, this particular class of prisoners, these principal thinkers of the Ashker v. Brown class action lawsuit, the California hunger strikers are indeed political prisoners and survivors of the decades of torture of solitary confinement. And they are now elders. And they are continually, except for the work of very dedicated and committed uh, activists and organizers and people who just care, they are being buried and forgotten. We are not going to let that happen here. As you know, um, I do my work with California Prison Focus as well, and you have heard about the Liberate the Caged Voices that comes from California Prison Fo uh, Focus, and we have been doing that work um, along with Minister King and Caged Universal to shine the light on these elders of the, 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 of the historic hunger strike, California hunger strikers who ended indefinite solitary confinement. I know this is a long introduction, but I need you to know this because I am going to read yet another ruling that came down against CDCR because they are continually abusing and violating the constitutional rights of our prisoners inside of CDCR's um, uh, prisons uh, throughout California. And it is directly, this is about those hunger strikers and the uh, call for the release of those elders that you heard me say, call the governor, release our elders, those men that have been subjected to the torture of decades of solitary confinement and are still caged and becoming elders and they are dying inside and we need your help to continue to shine the light. With that said, I am now going to read the federal court rules ongoing constitutional violations in California prisons warrant continued monitoring. And then Minister King is going to bring his commentary on this ruling. All right. You still with me, Minister King? Yes, I am. All right. Fantastic. Here we go. Extending oversight of class action settlement upheld. 
April 9th, 2021, Oakland, California. Today, a federal court ruled that California's ongoing violations of the rights of prisoners, including systemic fabrication of information supposedly provided by confidential sources, should be subject to extended judicial monitoring. The ruling against the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, CDC, small r, came in connection with a settlement agreement meant to end the state's unconstitutional practices. The settlement included a two-year period of monitoring by the court, but when the violations continued, the prisoners, represented by the Center for Constitutional Rights and co-counsel, asked for a one-year extension, which was initially granted by a magistrate judge. Today, Federal District Court Judge Claudia Wilkin denied CDCR's objections to that ruling, ordering that an additional layer of monitoring must go forward. Filings in the case, some of which have been filed under seal, but would include but which include public summaries of constitutional violations, detail CDCR's abuse of confidential information to return men to solitary confinement. They report CDCR's systemic fabrication of information supposedly provided by confidential sources, as well as fabrication of the sources themselves. At times, the filings document, this information has been fabricated to replace exculpatory information actually provided by an informant. Information has been altered to appear more damning than it is, and CDCR conclusions have been portrayed as statements of informants, according to the filings. Improper information, such as constitutionally valid, constitutionally invalid gang validations that were at the heart of the underlying lawsuit, have been transmitted to the parole board, and the court found that such validations have, in fact, been a factor in denying parole. All of these, Judge Wilkins said in today's ruling, violate due process and demonstrate the need for the initial extension of the monitoring period. The one thing I'm going to interject here, and I know Minister King will say something, is we didn't really need Judge Wilkin to say it because the prisoners have been telling us all along, but I'm glad that she did. Thank you, Judge Wilkin. Quote, this ruling is a major victory for the class of prisoners like me who suffered in long-term indefinite solitary confinement, unquote, said Paul Redd, a plaintiff in the case recently released from prison. Quote, it's so important that the court acknowledge the harms from abuse and misuse of confidential informants. In many cases, false information led to the denial of parole and people being returned to security housing units known as SHOES. This ruling validates what prisoners have been claiming for decades. I myself have been directly affected by this abuse, unquote. Mr. Red is also a former hunger strike representative and a signer of the End of Hostilities, also known as the Agreement to End Hostilities, which was instrumental in bringing together 30,000 California prisoners prisoners supporting the hunger strike. He provided important testimony in support of the bill SB 1064, addressing the flagrant abuse and misuse of confidential information. Plaintiffs also sought additional monitoring based on a third systemic constitutional violation. Under the Ashker Settlement Agreement, People whose safety would be at risk in the general population were to be moved from solitary confinement to a, quote, restricted custody general population unit known as RCGP. Today, Judge Wilkin agreed that the men placed in RCGP were denied due process protections. Go, Judge Wilkin. Quote, this is a huge victory for the prisoner human rights movement, movement who have been organizing from behind bars for decades to bring attention to California's inhumane treatment of people in prison, said Center for Constitutional Rights senior staff attorney Rachel Mirapol. Quote, for years, our clients explained that they were being sent to solitary confinement based on fabricated confidential evidence, but no one believed them. Just this year, Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed the bill SB 1064, mm, mm, which passed both houses of the California legislature and would have significantly curtailed CDCR's ability to use confidential information in order to return people to solitary confinement. It is time for the governor and the legislature to end this abusive practice and provide some relief to the men who spent years in isolation as a result, unquote. 
This settlement agreement explicitly provides for a 12-month extension of the judicial monitoring period if due process violations alleged in the initial complaint are shown to be continuing and systemic, or if such violations arise as a result of CDCR reforms required by the agreement. Today's ruling that the first extension was warranted comes amidst a pending request for a second extension of the monitoring period based on evidence that constitutional violations are still ongoing, as well as for remedies for the continued violations. The motion for, an for a second extension of the monitoring period argues that, at this point, five years after the agreement was reached, those imprisoned are entitled not only to an extension of the monitoring period, but also remedies for the underlying ongoing violations of their constitutional rights. Yes. Ashker v. Governor of California amended an earlier lawsuit filed by then Pelican Bay Shoe prisoners Todd Ashker and Dan Danny Troxell representing themselves. Co-counsel in the case for the Center for Constitutional Rights are, le or le are Legal Services for Prisoners with Children, California Prison Focus, Siegel and Yee, Siegel and Yee, Wheel, Gottschall, and Manges, LLP, Bremer Law Group, PLLC, Ellenberg and Hall, the Law Offices of Charles Carbone, and the Law Offices of Matthew Struger. You can find this at ccrjustice.org. Okay, Minister King, you are on. Wow. Okay, first of all, thank you, Sister Newbank, for having me. And I want to thank the rest of the staff over there at San Francisco Bayview, our sister in newspaper, brothers and sisters over there. One love to you and the brother Malik. Um, yeah, you said a lot. So the ruling is a phenomenon because what happens now is that we're dealing with facts fact, like you said, you know, for years, a lot of these survivors, these, these shoe torture survivors, these men who was down for 31 years in the shoe, uh, 40 years in the concrete jungle, you know, 33 years, the list goes on. And then you got el other elders who survived decades of uh, shoe torture, uh, like Rochelle McGee who's 81 years old. So when we say these elders, it, rem it remind me of the 60s and the 70s when you had this draconian caste system where the state uh, agents acting under the color of law was pl placing them against each other, giving weapons, and they formulated this, this solitary confinement for them to be there. It was part of the framework. So I think about uh, an old statement made by George, and he said, a unitarian and progressive current has sprung up in a movement centering on political prisoners. How can this unitarian conduct be developed further in the face of determined resistance from the establishment? How can it be used to isolate reactionary elements? So here it is. You have men who've been incarcerated for over 45 years, objectively subjected to solitary confinement because of their worldview, because of their fight against inhumane conditions, against injustice. And then when they start educating themselves, they've been ostracized even more. So when we talk about our brothers and our sisters who's on the move uh, for real freedom, for true freedom, uh, our brothers and sisters is fighting for Mamiya. Mamiya recognized that his brothers out here in California has the same school of thought. So therefore, he recognized and see them as part of the same struggle, it's combatants for the same under for those the same underclass. So now here we are in 2021, and the judge has made a ruling that implicitly these men uh, due process is being violated. This is all established case law, and it's crazy because CDC small law don't want to recognize the case law that was already established. Wolf versus McDonald was in 1974. Right. So if they didn't get an adequate due process way back in 1974, here it is in 2021, they're saying the same thing that we said in our uh, agreement to come on five core demands in number four. We said anybody subjected to indefinite punishment based on violation rule reports 115, which are currently being treated as felonies, 
by the parole board. Those who have suffered consequences of this double jeopardy should be considered for expedited release immediately. So they already know what's going on, but yet it's still, just like my men, they're being incarcerated, they're being held captive because of their worldview. They're being held captive, and, and it's, it's crazy because I think about the new Africans who been incarcerated for these many years. And one of the questions that I asked one of the uh, elders who's part of the agreement, who's part of the settlement, I used to ask Lewis Powell when we used to walk on the yard all the time, you know, how can we strategize strategically and strategy, short-term and long-term, by centralizing the people around California, uh, political prisoners, the brothers in New York, the brothers in Free Alabama, the brothers in, in Philly and Texas, how can we bring everybody together because we got a common call, uh, common issue? This indefinite sentence, this three strikes, this life without, this COVID becoming the new death row. I mean, this is a this is a pandemic alone, you know. So one of his responses, when, oh, he said, like, you know, I come from the same school of thought as Mamiya. That's my brother. It's just, you know, a lot of people see his issue because it's publicized, it's really out there. But it was 2011, 2013, and you could go far back to that, though. You could go to 1971 for what happened in San Quentin and what happened in Attica. It was correlated then. Absolutely. But one of the, one of the questions I asked Lewis Powell, who should be considered a political prisoner, and uh, in my, inside of my uncaged slaves then, he stipulated so beautiful when he said, all African Americans born after the year 1865 into the 21st century were born into a historical miscarriage with the ratifying of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. The political constitution that still defined those whose previous conditions was observed to ex-slaves and their offspring as stripped of humans. Our ancestors transitioned from American slaves to American political prisoners. So I'm gonna stop right there, where where I see like we have a situation where we depending on a court to make a ruling when us the people the the government is nothing without the populace to follow it. These men should never have to go into a hunger strike for 60 days to obtain the freedom to go into general population. So you got these lawyers, you got the lawyers from the Oscar case who've been fighting to make sure that they get due process, whether it's through programming, whether it's through the board. This whole war system needs to be abolished, and this is why we we aim for a strategic community release board. Absolutely. Absolutely, and, I, and I'm so glad that you reiterated uh, that aspect of, of political prisoners, uh, the, the strategic release, and also having to rely on a court system that is designed to do exactly what it's doing, and that is to deny us our freedom. Do you, um, we should definitely uh, call out, not call out, but we should give a, a shout out and focus on and, and give some light to um, some of our political prisoners. Um, do you do you want to read something, or do you have something by about Satawan um, Antambu uh, Jama'a? And also, before you do that, I just want to let people know. I mean, you're talking about Lewis Powell. I mean, go Lewis Powell. This guy, this brother, is just he's so intelligent. Again, those aligning philosophies and and uh, uh, mind mindset, right? About what's going on. We're all being sub- being subjected to the same thing, knowing who your common oppressor is for sure. Um, and I want people to remember that, you know, Lewis Powell is, is part of the liberate the cage voices. He's part of the agreement to come home. This guy was, has been denied parole, I think 17 times. Mm. Yeah. Right. I mean, and he's still Cajun. And we're talking about also the people I hope you are hearing. Um, some of you, I'm hoping there are new people here that haven't heard this and that you're learning something. But th- these guys went on hunger strike and put their lives on the line to get out of the torture of solitary confinement. But they are still caged. It's yeah. not that they yeah. get there out <laughs> to in the free world as they should be, as you, you pointed out. But I need people to really hear that. So. Um, yeah, Minister King, did you um, do we do we want to uh, bring some voice to? Yeah, so 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 uh, we still do a lot of movement building. 
and culture exchange with the different, the several different organizations, especially from the four reps. And um, one of the four reps, uh, the key key speaker is Satawa, Satawa Natan Bujama. Um, so we just did a short documentary with Satawa, and we put one of the exports, uh, a little piece up in, inside the, uh, from the Radcliffe Awards inside the Uncaged Slaves Dean, the second edition. And one of his statements was, um, it was a demonstration to get things that we didn't have. Salinas Valley, Salinas State Valley Prison was a dysfunctional prison, and there was violence every day. So I used the blueprint. For those that don't know about the blueprint, it's called the uh, Prison Human Rights Movement Blueprint. Mm-hmm. And the blueprint is a universal document because all racial groups, all cultural groups inside and out, even the Prison Human Rights Movement, uh, Solidarity Co- Coalition, uh, supports the Prison Human Rights Movement Blueprint. So he stipulated, I told the warden, I said, hey, we want to have programs. We, He said people were scared to run programs because the prison was so violent. I said, hey, you get teachers in here and let us go to school. It ain't going to be no problem. So they did. They did that and it was a success. He didn't believe it was a success. And when he seen it with us, with his own eyes, he said, hey, man, this really works. He said, I told you the blueprint going to work, and the blueprint is something that can apply to the streets and get people together, uphold what everybody wanted, and racial groups, and you can come together. So I'm going to stop there, right? All right, beautiful people. If you are just tuning in, this is Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco, and I'm your host, Nube Brown. I am in conversation with Minister King X, who is the co-director of California Prison Focus, Cage Universal. And we have been talking about the principal thinkers, the uh, four main representatives of the Asker v. Brown class action lawsuit, the men that organized along with many others, uh, the historic California hunger strikes, as well as the creating the what I consider to be one of the most important documents of the last half century, the agreement to end hostilities. We are going now to listen, uh, we're going to listen to a piece that Minister King, he is an artist, and he created a, a, a piece, a musical piece that includes audio from Satawa Nantambu Jama'a. And we are going to listen to that now. And I want to remind all of you that Satawa Nantambu Jama'a is one of the focuses for the Liberate Our Caged Elders. And just like Mumia, he has been subjected to the shackling um, of his ankles to the bed after he suffered a stroke while inside. Here we go. The spirit of John Clutchy, flee the drumble, throwing spears at the beast, giving problems, settled free. Chip fist drill will shell McGee. Satawa, Paul Reed, Razor, and Satawa, and Dugu and Dada. When we found that suit, it was three major people. I represented black. Again, we stopped the overall racial violence. CDC couldn't do it. The board couldn't do it. We did it ourselves. So they should recognize that. We put our lives on the line when we did that over strike just to prove a point that we ain't about what y'all keep us with this one warehouse. No one look at the version. I'm a version. It's a perfect example. I've been here so long, they don't even want me to help people. I did something good. I Sitawa and Dugu and Dada, Uhuru Sasa, 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 Uhuru Sasa,
freedom mean to you? What do freedom mean to you? Uncage, I'm still the slave. On parole, on probation, I'm still the slave. All right, we are back. That is such good work from Minister King. And it's absolutely wonderful to hear from Sitawa as well. We need to get him home. And I want to encourage you also to check out the California Prison Focus website at prisons.org. Again, please call the governor to release our elders at 916-445-2841. Sitawa Nantambu Jama'a has been in prison almost 40 years. There is no reason for him to be inside, except that this sick system doesn't want to let him go. So please join us. All right, here we go with the second half of the interview. So when we talk about these principal thinkers who've been fighting for their true freedom and others alike, and this is why I'm compassionate because I'm a returning citizen. I was there during the hunger strike, after the hunger, during before, during, and after. So, during the time of the hunger strike, you got these elders in who have been there way longer than me. And I'm seeing their fight, and I'm saying, wow, I got uncles who've been down since 77, and I got cousins who've been down that long. And I, now I'm seeing it hands-on because I had already been through the federal prison. I had already been through the California Youth Authority, right? So now I'm seeing how these men are being tortured for their worldview and being tortured because they're teachers, right? So that what they do, they remove them off general population, they put them in solitary confinement, and then they find these people who are alleged people to write 1030s against them. 1030s is confidential information. So now here I am home, and I think about the programs like the uh, the agreement to hostilities when, when I was in Pelican Bay. We actually established a class to deal with conflict resolution. We also uh, engage with programs like uh, ABP, AlternativeViolence.org. So we took some of that curriculum and we formulated that inside. So I say, hey, why not bring those same study groups, those same type of programs out here into society? So when I arrived to California Prison Focus, that was the, the reason why I brought Cage Universal because they had those same ingredients as the study groups that we had inside. So I'm saying here it is, you have leadership uh, uh, of the CDCR, the Green Wall, stigmatizing these men as the worst of the worst. You got actors acting under the color of law saying they're the worst of the worst, but then you have principal anchors like uh, Paul Reed who come out here to society and he's doing great, great work. You see that what you just read from a court document. Mm-hmm. He's not engaging in nothing illegal. So the, the, the new Africans that I, I delegate with or and on the side with firmly are not gang members. They're not the worst of the worst. They're not engaging in no type of underground activity. So the biggest question is, after 40 or 50 years, 35 years, 20 years in solitary confinement, and 50 years, 54 years in, in prison, why are they still here? So if they're actually promoting something like the agreement thing, I still is one of the uh, principal bankers in Tyler's system, Marie Levin had made a beautiful statement. She said, we should promote the agreement thing, I still is on the billboard. And then one of my other brothers, uh, uh, Donald C. No Hooker, was like, hey, you know what? The people should centralize together and actually get to Tyler and the other three reps a uh, 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 war through the uh, peace treaty. We should get them a, um, a, a, a peace treaty award, and if we could get that, and then that basically makes CDC small R words fall on, on, on its face. Because here it is, we think about public safety, right? And you got all this violence out here in Oakland, California, all through, throughout the Bay Area or anywhere else through Northern, Southern, and Central California. So if you had these principal bankers that was engaging with their nieces, their nephews, their communities, and they was sharing ideas, and then maybe we could have the youth get more involved and know about no flex zone and know about uh, anti-bullying, anti-sexism, because that's what the agreement reflects. This is a historical document. 
So why CDC can't embrace it, but society is, if we come together as a people and say no more, no more leaving our elders behind the wall coming in as youngsters who should have been let out under SB 260, 261. That should have been retroactive. They should have let all these men out way back then. Now the elder, the elders who died, for example, we got uh, rest in peace, rest in power. Chip Fitzgerald came in when he was a young youngster, and he died as an elder. So this is what they want. This is why we say the definite sentence is genocide because these elders are being abused and being unconstitutionally housed because of what they believe in, because they want to live and because they want break. Absolutely. So, you know, I just feel like now's the time. Now's the time to bring everybody together, whether you're in Philly, whether you're in New York, Texas, all the elders, all everybody that stand for against the inhumane treatment of Mamiya should stand for the same inhumane treatment for Satawa, Lewis Powell, and others alike. I mean, that's always been our California prison focus. Mission statement. California prison focus isn't just for California. We get letters from, from everywhere, just like San Francisco, Bayview, MIM, Turning the Tide. We should engage in radical journalism, poor magazine. We should centralize the people through our narratives and control the narrative instead of allowing the media matrix to separate us or to, to take a hold of our narrative and make it their own. So when we think about these court rulings, we, we will hope that they be reaction retroactive. We will hope that um, other other platforms will continue to bolster the voices behind these walls, liberate those in, uh, our elders in the cages, and, 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 and continue to find great ideas and to do more movement building together as one. I love that, and I love that that the centralized through our narrative. I I absolutely love that for our liberation uh, journalism, our revolutionary liberation journalism. I think that is absolutely right, and I love your the idea of um, the stigma. Do you talk about the stigmatizing narrative as opposed to the uh, yeah, which is the oppressor's narrative? I, I I I love that, and I I'm so glad that you continue to bring up the agreement and hostilities, because I, like you, Minister King, that, that not only is an historical document, but I think it is one of the most important documents of the last 50 years, personally. Um, because, right. you know, what right. it was able to accomplish. I would love for you um, to uh, talk about, I, I, one of the things you mentioned, because you were doing so much great work, you talked about bringing... You, you started the classes on the inside uh, at the ATP, uh, alternatives to, wait, alternatives to violence, ATV, right? Yeah. Yeah. Alternative yeah, and bringing that out here. Can you, um, have you been able to start any of those study groups? Because I know, um, you know, you're doing a lot of great work with, uh, uh, you know, with, with, with Poor Magazine and, and, uh, and the youth there and elsewhere. Yeah, so so basically, um, when my when I think you know uh, my program coordinator Priscilla, we started a, a, a after school program called Breakthrough Little Cage, and basically the after school program focuses on the incarcerated children. So it's called Little Cage for a reason. Like when you think of the Satawas of the world who have been connected with his grandkids or any, anybody, uh, I know some other elders, uh, Chavo, and and, and, and and these men who haven't seen their kids are connected with their families, but a lot of times the youth are dealing with it and all they take it in a different way, and they too are being subjected to being stigmatized because you go to schools and first thing they want to uh, uh, diagnose them with ADD or they got a, a mental illness or whatnot, but sometimes if the household is not functioning, as the next person, household, and people misunderstand. Like, I remember when I was younger, I actually had an incarcerated parent, and, and my father raised me. And I used to miss my dad. I used to, like, you know, not pay attention until I got that letter. And when he sent me that letter and he said, hey, man, stay good in school, stay focused, and, you know, don't ever find yourself in these, these concentration camps. You know, I, I, 
I didn't take heed because the streets end up raising me, but at the same time, I enjoyed that communication. So it's about great coping skills among the youth out here. And then how do we parallel that to the fathers, the mothers that's incarcerated? How do we have Mother's Days and Father's Days for the incarcerated? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that was some of the things that we used to do, me and my brother Kilo, uh, Keelan Jenkins, we actually do a program when I was in corporate to bring awareness to mass incarceration and the fathers that was in solitary confinement. So those are some of the ideas that we want to continue to move forward and then get other people to pick up on those ideas so we could be doing it as a collective. And then and it even goes back to like well, how we started the Radcliffe Awards where uh, bring awareness with through the arts and uh, bring whatever we can do for us, bringing awareness and funding for San Francisco Bayview and Prison Focus. Um, some of the other pro- projects that we're working on right now for California Prison Focus is the MLK Project. The MLK Project, the Mediation Litigational Keystones, where we actually have some mediators go out and talk to some of these police chiefs about this violence going on against our community, whether it's the George Floyd tomorrow. Uh, the Brianna Ch- Taylor's tomorrow because we have one court issue, but then the next day we had somebody get killed. You know, just recently somebody got killed by a police. So yeah. we need to take back our communities and we need to develop programs inside and out that's from our communities in every aspect. And this is how we feel we will defund the police by putting more money into these type of programs, educational programs. So one of the other programs that I'm um, putting together through the culture of arts where I'm, I did an album, but they want people to think that it was just rap. If they thought it was just rap, it's just a statement I use by saying, no, I'm not. I'm doing political flows, political musicals. I'm telling you the truth. So what we just talked about today, my album, is, my new album is going to be called uh, Hunger Striking for True Freedom, a political musical. And it described everything you just read, everything we just talked about. And I feel that this is something that nobody was was going to do because, you know, Satawa, uh, Paul Red, these these elders, they have the narrative, but they're not into spoken flaws. So me being a younger uh, delegate, I said, okay, how do I take what I've learned from the elders and give it to the, the millennials and the millennials give it to Generation Z? Because really it's about each of us learning from each other, each one teach one. So these are just the programs that, that we got rolling out um, this year. We're going on tour with some some of the other people. I don't want to announce too much about that, but we got a lot going on. That's so fantastic, and I love how... Um, I just talk about flow, you know, bringing it from the court down, back down to the street, right? back to the people uh, of, you know, really what's necessary in order to move this forward. And I love that um, you're bringing the, you know, the, the culture and arts to it. You are known as an artivist for sure. Hey, did you want to make another comment about uh, Kilo G where he's at? Because you know, a couple months ago, maybe a little bit less, but a couple months ago, we did have uh, Sister Elsie on, and she was talking about the uh, free Kilo G uh, campaign. How's that going? Yes, yeah, so um, my brother Kilo, a.k.a. Keelan Jenkins, he's been incarcerated for over 24 years, right? And he's incarcerated for something he didn't do, but because he didn't engage into the parole, Snitcher died. Uh, uh, platform that CPC has, that the, the pig state has, because, um, you know, the green wall is no different than the blue wall. Mm-hmm. So what they did in railroad, and he's subjected to life without, but he have a co-defender that is part of his campaign who has admitted that I was there and he wasn't a part of that crime. But yet it's still, he's been punished for a crime he didn't do and he should have fit under 260, 261, or he should be able to get some type of relief through uh, SB 300. So we, we on top of we got an attorney, a great attorney on top of the, his issues. Um, we, we, we are in hopes that some people support this new bill, AB 1509, um, which deals with gun enhancements and, you know, uh, 
some type of issue. It's basically on um, the anti-racism sentencing reform act, you know. So if he get relief on that, we just looking for any type of relief because it's like a political chokehold on his life and his mother. You know, his mother been suffering for years, putting resources she hadn't seen for like over 10 years on a visit. And now he just got transferred to Saladad, so I'm looking forward to hopefully getting her up there to visiting and get more visiting and more communication to keep his community ties and his family ties, you know, uh, in check. So that's where we at with that. But I also want to mention when we talk about political prisoners, there's a lot of unheard voices like Kilo and others alike, mm-hmm. and. You know, one of the unheard voices that I want to speak on in, in this regard to our elders, um, this, this gentleman, he wrote in and he said he had a statement and it really touched me. Um, he said, I will never get these walls down alone. So he wrote in and he said, to whom it may concern, my name is Alvin C. West. I'm a 66-year-old male. Who's been incarcerated? Who's been excuse me? Who's been in prison for over 20 years with an indeterminate sentence? I feel like I have a death sentence, not able to do anything to help myself. I have a family that supports me with adequate housing, jobs, and more. I'm tired of suffering under this cruel and unusual punishment. I would like to join along with your project so I will learn what I need to do to help myself. Because my life today feels as though it's all over and I will never get these walls down alone. So it touched home because although his name has not been in the media, he's a human being. And one of the one of the principal things that one of the principal uh, negotiators really always tell us when we was inside, he said, Ubuntu, share mm, Absolutely. <laughs> Yes, Baridi. Hey, Minister King, listen, before we finish up, I wanted you to be able to um, unpack a little bit more what it means to be, uh, why you were able to be, and what you feel about being um, a, a, a returning citizen. Well, you know, um, I always ask people what your freedom means to you, but I never asked myself that question. But then one day, as I was reading that agreement the hostilities, it was crazy because I realized me and others alike that was in that was on general population was only able to come home because at one time prison was a, a boiling pot for violence. It was so hostile and I remember being in high desert on corporate when it was a lot of racial tension. And then here it is, we had the situation where what happened in Folsom you know, in August. And this happened because you had these Asian provocateurs working with the, uh, the, 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 the draconian state, but at the same time, I can't even say nothing wrong with the situation when you have the agreement to hostilities. Without that agreement to hostilities, it would have been way more violence. So you had these isolated incidents because you had these personal things to say, Thank you so much. That is much appreciated. Agreed. And you and I, and just for full disclosure, people, Minister King and I uh, do work uh, closely together. And um, we are um, involved in many of the same projects 
especially when it comes to uh, releasing our elders with his agreement to come home, liberate the caged voices, liberate our caged elders. This is really all the same platform, same narrative, same centralized work that we are doing together. Minister King, I thank you again for your, just your, your beautiful words. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you. Can't stop. Won't stop. Can't stop. Won't stop. Peace to you, brother. We love you. All right. Peace. All right. I am now going to read from a booklet uh, titled The Evil Dehumanizing Practice Within the Short Corridor Torture Chamber that was written by Satawa Nantambu Jama'a in the year of 2012. We will not get through the whole booklet today, but we will finish it over a couple of prison-focused radio shows. Here we go. The Evil Dehumanizing Practice Within the Short Corridor Torture Chamber by Satawa Nantambu Jama'a. This article is a clear depiction of the constant torture that we and many other prisoners endure day in and day out here at Pelican Bay State Prison Security Housing Unit, PBSP SHU, in the Short Corridor Torture Chambers. Torture administered by prison guards to prisoners who are husbands, brothers, sons, fathers, cousins, and uncles of loved ones who need us at home. We wish not to exaggerate, but to speak clearly to the suffering and the helplessness that exists when we are unable to defend ourselves against pure power. This power is the system of institutionalized racism that everyday men and women correctional officers, COs, who are no different than you and I, have embraced. They have been brainwashed to see us as their enemy or the scum of the earth. Therefore, the COs play right into the process that leads to the mistreatment of prisoners and validates the torture. In an in-depth rundown, we will show how, through prison daily functions, we are suffering at the hands of our captors. The History of CDCR Melancholy of 1969 to 1978. Most people don't care if humans are being tortured at the hands of other human beings, especially if those human beings are considered to be in the obsolete class of human beings marginalized by institutional racism. History has always had a funny way of repeating itself. So before going into the current torture and suffering of human beings in 2010, here is a reminder for those of you who may have forgotten about the history of torture inside California state prisons. In 1970, January 13th, the California Department of Corrections, now called California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, murdered three beautiful new African men in cold blood in a fixed race riot set up by CDC officials when a racist correctional officer named O.P.G. Miller a gunman and marksman at Soledad State Prison took out W.L. Nolan, Alvin Miller, and Cleveland Edwards. One shot to each man, which was fatal only because the seals let each man bleed out until they were dead. They were unarmed, and their only true crime was that they were new African men who did not accept the beatings, disrespect, and inhumane treatment from racist prison guards in Soledad O-Wing solitary confinement. The COs hated these men simply because they existed. In 1970, August 7th, the cruel and inhumane treatment and torture of George Lester Jackson led his 17-year-old brother, Jonathan, a.k.a. Manchild, into a Marin County courtroom to liberate his brother and comrades from the vices of such tor- torture. African men, William Cri- African men, William Christmas, James McLean, and Rochelle McGee were all in the courtroom while George L. Jackson was intentionally kept behind at San Quentin. In the courtroom, Manchild liberated James McLean, Rochelle McGee, and William Christmas, only to be confronted with a hail of bullets by racist CDC local police officers. By the time they stopped shooting, there were four dead, Jonathan Jackson, Manchild, William Christmas, James McLean, and Judge Haley, and two badly wounded, Rochelle McGee, and Assistant District Attorney Gary Thomas. The hate for these three beautiful new Africans led the CDC to shoot recklessly, killing four and seriously wounding two. On August 21, 1971, guards at San Quentin State Prison assassinated Comrade George L. Jackson, who had been tortured for 10 straight years by a CDC system which has to this day signified their hate of new African men. In the system, Institutionalized racism of hate can be seen in the prison's policies, particularly through the continual validating of any and all men who celebrate their spirit or read George Jackson's books, Blood in My Eye and Soledad Brothers, 
or who have participated in the commemoration of our Black August Memorial, where we celebrate these new African spirits who reject and resist torture and the system of institutionalized racism, i.e. vicious beatings, being spit on, called niggers, urine and feces in their food, you name it, they suffered it. Many new Africans have been given indeterminate shoe sentences and labeled black guerrilla family members and associates simply for celebrating and remembering these new Africans, W.L. Nolan, William Christmas, Jonathan Jackson, James McLean, Alvin Miller, Cleveland Edwards, Jeffrey Katari Golden, George L. Jackson, and countless others during our Black August Memorial. The racist officer that killed W.L. Nolan, Alvin Miller, and Cleveland Edwards was cleared of all charges and the incident was ruled justifiable homicide. The shootings of the new African men at the Marin County Courthouse, Manchild, William Christmas, James McLean, was ruled justifiable homicide, and so on. When George L. Jackson had enough of the cruel and unusual treatment in which he suffered physical and psychological torment 24-7 for 10 years straight, he too would resist against the system of institutionalized racism. And when the smoke was cleared, and when the smoke was clear, comrade George L. Jackson would be dead in front of the San Quentin Adjustment Center yard, August 21st, 1971. Not one word was mentioned in the press of the many years he suffered at the hands of a racist justice system, starting with the court who gave comrade George life in prison in 1960 for a commercial burglary. Their hate was so raw, they had to torture him every year until they murdered him in cold blood. But because he left a trail of their blood alongside his, it infuriated the CDC even more, which is why the present-day CDCR uses an anti-George L. Jackson campaign to dispel this history. In the 1970s, the CDC developed the gang validation system in order to oppress any new Africans who value their legacy and spirit because the racist CDC officers who were present during these horrible times when evil was rampant are the overseers who run CDCR today, i.e. old prison guards, sons, daughters, etc. So nothing has changed. The sole reason for the racism shown to W.L. Nolan, George L. Jackson, Katari, Manchild, William Christmas, and more is that their mentalities are of resistance and those of us who possess the same mentality are automatically deemed a threat. Anybody who knows the history of the New African Revolutionary Nationalists, NARN, or Revolutionary New African Nationalists, Arnon, knows that they were not gang members, but political prisoners who were politicized by a racist system that tortured these New African brothers throughout the United States. The Attica uprising was in protest of the G.L. Jackson killing and the torturous, inhumane conditions the men suffered at Attica as well. These are just a few of many deaths that occurred at the hands of racist prison officials. Yet, the prisoners are demonized as if they were the cause of such conditions and treatment. Therefore, we leave you with the knowledge that Comrade Jeffrey Katari Golden was left to die at the hands of prison officials after suffering a head injury, which was a deliberate injustice that occurred on August 1st, 1978, because he was labeled as the commander chief of the BGF. This new African was left to die while waiting for hours for medical attention for a head injury. Now, these incidents have occurred a hundred times over since 1970, when the slaughter of these first three new Africans occurred on January 13th, 1970, well into the present day. So when you read this article, know that history is definitely repeating itself within the current torture chamber. Malicious practices through illegal covert operations. Those who are responsible for comprising the list for indeterminate shoe placement in the short corridor are IGI, Institutional Gang Investigators, ISU, Investigative Security Unit, and OCS, Office of Correctional Safety. Their roles are IGI, deals with the investigative side of the allegations against prisoners in which they do cell searches, harassing intimidations, gathering of information on prisoners, manipulating and falsifying documents, holding interviews with informers, rats, snitches, and turncoats, and using them to fabricate lies in order to validate target subjects. IGI is subordinate to 
to ISU. All right, we will need to end it there. I want to thank you for joining me. That is the end of our show. Please come back and join me next week, and we will continue with the evil dehumanizing practice within the short corridor torture chamber by Satawa Nantambu Jama'a. Peace, y'all. Always act in shared humanity. Ubuntu. Get ready for Workweek with Steve Seltzer. <laughs>